Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Thursday Morning Report. This was a project I did a few years back in partnership with Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, where I volunteered as an engineer, host, and producer. Enjoy this one-hour interview program that went out live over the radio on KZYX. If you like what you are hearing, you can check out my current podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on your favorite podcast hosting site, or find out more on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm also on Twitter at McKenty. If you want to support the program, look up The Shift on Patreon, or find it on the web at www.theshiftnow.com and click on subscribe. Subscribers receive access to full-length feature episodes of The Shift, as well as the membership forum, where members can engage in discussions and participate in the evolution of the show. Stay tuned for this episode of the Thursday Morning Report from KZYX Radio in Mendocino County, California. Uh, I'm speaking with Professor Bill Vitek uh, about uh, his uh, compilation that he's put out, The Virtues of Ignorance, Complexity, Sustainability, and the Limits of Knowledge. We'll get into taking phone calls here in uh, about 15 minutes or so. Um, but first, let's get into... Uh, you know, in, in what ways does this linear way of thinking, uh, it, I think it sort of separates us from the way nature actually works, and maybe this is what creates uh, an unsustainable situation. Um, so in what ways can uh, this idea of thinking in an, you know, about a system of, of nonlinear complexity uh, based on the virtues of ignorance, how does that uh, help to create a more sustainable uh, cult, you know, culture? Right, good. Well, I think um, in the knowledge-based system, the knower um, is the is the is the person, is the human, and and the world is essentially just out there to be to be known. It it it's, doesn't contribute. It's not. A, we're not having a conversation where uh, Francis Bacon used very uh, vivid uh, language to describe uh, the the knower, uh, the seeker of knowledge, uh, as essentially a torturer. Um, and talked about putting nature on the rack and extracting her secrets. Uh, it's his language. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we still do that. I mean, we right. still, biology is basically the study of dead things. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we smash atoms and protons together. I mean, we're basically saying, you know, we're the, uh, we're the knower and, and nature is passive. And, and, uh, uh, we don't have to listen to nature uh, because uh, what we're just simply doing is getting the secrets uh, revealed. I think uh, an ignorance-based worldview um, says that uh, n- nature has an elegant system, uh, and it can teach us. It's a conversation, not just uh, not just across different disciplines. Right now, of course, we all have to talk to each other as humans. Nature. Uh, um, show what it knows, so to speak. And so it's, it's a kind of collaborative enterprise. Um, and when uh, what, what motivated Wes Jackson, uh, my, my co-editor on this collection, and, and, and Wes really gets credit for thinking about this uh, first and most deeply and, and drawing a group of us together to, to talk more about it, uh, was his question, what's, what's wrong with agriculture and how can we how can we fix it? And, and his, his answer was, we're too busy trying to solve problems in agriculture, where the real problem is of agriculture. It's the problem of, of mining soil, uh, because nature doesn't do that. Nature doesn't, you know, every spring nature doesn't tear up the soil and plant new things. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a nonlinear, complex living system. And so he 
uh, talks about consulting nature to, to figure out how we can grow food for ourselves. And so I think it's, that's the first step, that, that nature is not passive here. Nature is active, and, and nature is, is part of, uh, knows something, so to speak, and that what we have to do is learn to listen as much as, as we do um, take control. I think that's a big, uh, that's a big piece of it. Um, we have to be more precautionary uh, in our work. I think this, uh, like your point early on in the conversation, that knowledge is power. We get this great confidence that we know what we're doing. Um, we don't know what we're doing. And, right. <laughs> uh, and, and so what we ought to do is to go more slowly and, and more carefully. Now, I know the classic counter-argument is, well, then we'll fall behind in research or we'll fall behind. We won't be leaders. But, you know, I mean, what are we leaders of? And we are, we, again, I, I, I don't want to deny that the knowledge-based system has, has provided a great deal of, of, of innovation and hope and, and uh control over our world, but it has also brought with it a great deal of trouble and damage. And, um, you know, uh, it's, it's, we just need to, re, to, to stop a little bit and, and, and be more careful. The precautionary principle um, is part of an ignorance-based worldview. It says when you don't know where you're going or you have some sense that you're not going in the right direction, uh, you stop, or you slow down, uh, or you you you, you wait. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't want to say that it's the, the classic problem of men who won't ask for directions when they're lost, but there's a <laughs> there's a there's a reluctance on our uh, on, on the knowledge on the knowledge based perspective to stop to slow down um, this in, inherent belief that oh, we can fix all our problems. And uh, but now we've got some big problems, right? I mean, we have climate change, we have uh, you know, uh, uh, leaking wells. We, I mean, it, the, the problems are much larger now, and and they're they're global. So, um, um, so um, it's collaborative. It's 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 precautionary. Um, um, I think we have to look locally for a lot of our solutions too. Uh, we tend to think that because uh, the best knowledge is the most abstract knowledge, that once you know what's true here is true everywhere. I think nature. Um, uh, is elegant in terms of its localized solutions, and 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 I, whether you know it's on a savanna or um, you know di- di- different different zones, tropical zones, climate zones, etc. Uh, we need to 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 at least be open to the idea that that um, local areas, regions have have solutions particular to them to themselves. Yeah, I kind of feel like this, uh, the linear system is, it's like we're involved in a huge Greek tragedy here, and it, that disassociation and that objective linear knowledge that we seek is a, kind of that arrogance or that hubris that you hear about, and uh, it, uh, it's always going to end up uh, going bad, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and because the argument is, see, it, it, it's, um, they, they often win the argument because they say, well, yes, we know that knowledge is iterative, that, way, that we, we, we're going to keep filling up this empty barrel called ignorance until we have it all. And so, yeah, we make mistakes, but give us more time, give us another chance. Uh, you know, we can, we can fix this uh, with, you know, with some new knowledge. And so, right. I mean, knowledge is, gets the free pass. And, and I, you know, I mean, what we're talking about here uh, is essentially a conceptual revolution, a kind of paradigm shift. It's not something that is going to be done easily. It's not going to be something that's done um, uh, without a lot of 
people saying, are you kidding me? You know, we can't possibly right. wait or we can't possibly go slow. Um, and yet some of these, um, I mean, I think what we're, what we're, what we're, but yeah, what we're hoping for um, is uh, is, is a, a revolution in thinking, and um, um, we've already have uh, Eugene um, Turner has already published an article on uh, restor- in restoration science on, on estuaries in Louisiana, arguing that uh, an ignorance-based worldview is uh, is is a better way to go, and then that was published last. Uh, I guess this past spring in a in a peer-reviewed journal. So so it's not like we're <laughs> people are starting to use this perspective with some positive results. Yeah, I'd be interested though in knowing sort of what your li- I mean, how you think your listeners why they would be interested in in, in what seems like a pretty philosophical esoteric discussion. Right. Well, you know, I'm hoping that they can uh, uh, take away um, this idea that uh, an ignorance-based worldview is is really what it takes to be able to live sustainably. And that it is, uh, because that's a big issue around here, yeah. certainly, you know, uh, a lot of people in Mendocino are uh, all about trying to learn more about yeah. how to integrate their yeah. lives with the natural, you know, forces and, and not work in this kind of antagonistic way. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping that uh, just uh, knowing that these ideas are out there will help uh, help that paradigm shift happen yeah. around here, you know. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, when we're talking sustainability is... is, is um, is a very old um, approach. It's 4.56 billion years that life has been on this planet. Right. <laughs> uh, so it, it, there's a lot we can learn, right? And now, but now suddenly humans are sort of saying, "Well, we're the sustainability experts, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna sort of, we're gonna bring sustainability to nature." But it's like, well, no, I don't. I think what we ought to do is, 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 is uh, first of all, apologize. Stop and listen, and, and um, see if we can come up with some new systems. And let's be clear, right? That 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 Francis Bacon and 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 uh, Rene Descartes and that the, what we call the Enlightenment was itself a conceptual revolution that that rejected scriptural authority and, and scholasticism and, and Aristotle's uh, scientific views, which were by and large incorrect. Um, and that, so, I mean, what we're saying is, you know, these revolutions uh, are part of our, uh, our um, evolutionary history, our cultural history. Um, you know, uh, how how well have we incorporated uh, Darwin's insights uh, into our ways of thinking? And you know, and, and uh, even though his work came out in 1859, uh, you know, we're still pretty part behind there. So, you know, so these revolutions have happened in the in the past and they can happen again and I and I I think the fact that our book is out in paperback suggests that people are reading it and they're 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 responding to it. It is interesting that you mentioned Darwin because it, I, I, you know, I've thought before that so many people, you know, they they say that they believe in in Darwin's theory of evolution, but then they don't really apply it. I mean, they, you know, they're thinking about human beings and how humans evolved, and they don't right. apply that same nonlinear system of evolution to their thinking about uh, economics or politics or you know technological advancement. Right, and and I, and I think that's the, it's a carryover. I think the the. Um, Interesting, the Enlightenment. Many of the Enlightenment thinkers still had one, at least one foot in in the scholastic worldview, in which you know humans were created separately by by God, and 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 God endowed us with with reason and a mind that 
could, if we worked hard enough, know God's creation, right? I mean, that's, that's, and, and then Newton comes along and gives us this incredible tool, uh, and the scientific revolution is, is, is launched. Now, uh, but I think if you dig down deep enough, you will see in that revolution this sense that human beings can figure this out. And, and, uh, and then Darwin comes along and says, well, you know, we're, we're, we're uh, evolved creatures. There's, there's no linear uh, direction. I mean, evolution is not directional. We're not getting better. It's, it's pretty random, this, this evolution. And our brain is a primate brain. It's got uh, a little bit of, uh, of, of rational thought in the neocortex, but they call it a neocortex for a reason. It's the newest part of our brain. Um, what makes us think that that uh, contingent uh, creation, or, or not creation, but just development, um, could possibly capture uh, uh, how the world works. I mean, so, so I think we, I mean, the ignorance-based worldview is, is dependent on sort of two assumptions. One, uh, we live in a, a world that's alive itself, and so it's constantly changing, and our, and our brain is a product of evolution, not, not divine creation. And there's no reason to think that the human brain is capable of understanding um, and take those two and put them together, and we have to sort of go at things much differently, much more slowly, much more collaboratively. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to talk about uh, the limits of knowledge. There's one, whenever I start thinking about these things, I, you run into that paradox of, of how, how then do you have knowledge at all? And, and, you know, what is the function of knowledge? Do you have any knowledge? Because uh, in this book, you're not, you're not going so far as to be nihilistic and, and say, you, you know, we just can't know anything and it's all pointless. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know? <laughs> no, there's, no, there's nothing nihilistic here at all. And in fact, I mean, if, if I mean, uh, Wes Jackson's work in perennial agriculture is a great example. He and his staff at the Land Institute in Salina, Kansas, have been at it for 35 years, and um, they have um, the very early stages of a, of a perennial wheat, uh, and and um, it's it's a radical, um, uh, a radically good. Uh, I don't want to say invention, but they they figured it out, and. You know, so, and it's not based on a sort of um, linear uh, parts. Knowledge-based worldview is based on an ignorance-based worldview, and and he's gotten some good things out of it. So, um, yeah, so it's not pessimistic. It's it's forward-looking. It's it's, uh, and and look, we have to. I mean, we're we're every generation has to sort of clean up. The messes that the early earlier generation uh, created, uh, many ways unintentionally, uh, with with what they thought was good knowledge. <laughs> so we have yeah. to make decisions. We have to go forward. Uh, so it's not a pe- pessimistic, uh, nihilistic view at all. Well, very interesting. I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the sort of ethics involved too. One of the uh, essays uh, is talking about um, how knowledge is often used as a, a justification for power. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I know this, and so I can make you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, y- you know, the ignorance-based. I, the word I came up with was uh, respect. It, you know, it's based on respecting each other's individuals' experience, and that you know every individual has a kind of a different their own knowledge base that they've gained from their own individual experience. 
Um, yeah, I, I want to. I, I don't want to suggest that the the book's premise sort of goes along with that kind of again, sort of relativism, right? That whatever somebody believes is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are still um, conditions of evidence that we need to to, to have in, a, in any kind of society that we, by and large, agree on. Um, I think we're not saying that there is no knowledge or that mathematical language is therefore, uh, I don't know, <laughs> just a point of view mm-hmm. uh, or a belief that's no better than, say, astrology. Um, um, but I don't mean to pick on astrology, but... Uh, <laughs> but um, so, there, I mean, there are conditions of evidence, uh, and, and we do need to hold uh, people accountable for their beliefs. I, I, I just think what we're saying is that we have to we have to watch out when any system of knowledge um, sort of gets too much power. And, and it's interesting in a way that, that the Enlightenment sought to bring down religious systems of power based on what you might call religious knowledge, scriptural knowledge, or, you know, there's a God and here's what he said, it's in this book, and you will believe it. And the Enlightenment said, no, we won't. And, and, but 300 and 400 years later, you know, modern science um, um, exerts a fair amount of power, both politically uh, uh, and in some ways morally. Um, and so we just have to always be careful when, when large institutions um, exert uh, political and moral power over others based on some knowledge claims. Um, but I think we have to be careful not to go the other way and say all knowledge claims are equally true or all knowledge claims uh, are false because we'll always learn more. I mean, it's, this needs to be, I think, a balance. And, and, um, and I think the ignorance-based worldview is saying let's go at all of our pursuits, uh, questions, um, with an openness that we might be wrong, and in fact, we're very likely to be wrong, and how might we then operate? How might we design an economic system or a scientific system or even an ethical system where, where um, new about old ways of thinking, where we might um, discover that we were, we were wrong? And, um, you know, science never, <laughs> rarely, talks about its failures. It just, you can't find, you know, when you, when you study science in, in college or school. You never right. hear about all the dumb things science said. They just, they just <laughs> move on. They ignore it. Um, and, and so, you know, can't hurt to, to be a little more, more honest about that. I think this gets to the issue of the whole climate change debate. I think in some ways people expect scientists who are working on a very complex system, climate, um, um, and water systems and air systems and the oceans and atmosphere, you know, to somehow have a definitive answer, and policymakers are demanding it. It's just not possible right now. And it seems to me, if we had an ignorance-based worldview, the kinds of statements or claims that climate scientists are making would be understood as as preliminary, as based on what we know so far. As you know, so um, so I, th- I think it would change the kind of debates we would have, and and. Uh, um, wouldn't force people into making uh, uh, statements or claims that uh, we say, well, they're, they're true or they're not true. So, um, 
So yeah, I, I just w- watch watch out for power mm-hmm. uh, and power uh, and knowledge claims, uh, whether they're religious or or scientific. Bill, you've got a little hiccup on your phone. It just happens like every couple of minutes. I don't know if you're uh, pulling on the uh, cord or something. Or oh, okay, sorry. Ma- okay. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's something else. But I just thought if you if I could mention that. Um, okay, sorry about that. It's uh it's nine thirty six. So why don't we start taking some phone calls? I actually have somebody trying to get in here. Um, but I'm going to take a second to uh, thank everyone for listening to the Thursday Morning Report this morning on uh, KZYX here in Mendocino County. I'm your host, Doug McKenty, and I'm speaking with Dr. Bill Vitek, uh, editor of The Virtues of Ignorance, Complexity, Sustainability, and the Limits of Knowledge. Excuse me, the editor. It's a compilation uh, of several different authors. Uh, if you have a question for our guest, please call. The studio line is 895-2448. Uh, and I do have one coming in, so you want to go ahead and start taking them? You bet. Here we go. Good morning. You're on KZYX. Doug, thank you so much for this very important show. I'm so thrilled to have this kind of thing on our airwaves. Um, I just, for the doctor, I have a question, but needs a little preface. We have had the good fortune to get our board of supervisors here to uh experiment with the precautionary principle, and I think a lot of our listeners understand what you're talking about really well, um, partly because for 20 years we've all been exposed to the work of the pioneers. So my question is, when I have been working um, in groups either to recover damaged environments or in any areas that are um, affected by health and food safety, what one usually ends up coming up against in the bureaucracy is risk assessment. And I'm hoping that you would maybe help us understand how this new worldview could, um, how we could rewrite the way we use risk assessment. Thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Great question. And and you great work being done there at, uh, by your listener and, and, and those folks. Uh, but but my, my first uh, answer would be to, to get, um, and by the way, I'm, I'm hearing that hiccup in, uh, coming in this way too now. Okay, so. it's probably just a technical problem on this end. Okay. Um, but uh, the, the folks working on the precautionary principle, uh, Carolyn Raffensperger is a person whose name comes to mind, uh, they've got some wonderful books, uh, website on the precautionary principle, and they, they, they take on this problem of, of risk um, uh, and, and critique it. And, and um, uh, there's a whole literature that, that, that points out the limits of, of that way of thinking. And, and it, it's essentially based on... Uh, a knowledge-based worldview that somehow we could can determine uh, what things are um, unsafe but not too unsafe, right? At what level of risk can we can we tolerate before uh, we get cancer or before um, something really goes wrong? And well, I mean, that's the idea. Excuse me, I just was thinking about the BP oil spill and how, you know, their risk assessments are always saying that these, you know, these things will probably never happen. Yeah, And then, of right. course, you know, of course it's going to happen sometime. <laughs> well, of course it's going to happen sometimes, <laughs> right. right. And, and so that's the first thing. You know, of course it's going to break. Of course, somewhere along the line, this is going to happen. But, but it's important to, to point out the, the limitations of, of, of the risk model, but also to point out that it's based on uh, the idea that uh, we're always better taking a risk than avoiding a risk. And, and, and so the early work in the EPA was, well, we can't outlaw all these chemicals because we, that's, they're all 
required for our, for our modern life, and nobody would want to give them up. So let's determine what level of risk we can tolerate as a society, uh, as a you know, as a body, and how much you know how many chemicals we can have in our body before it causes a problem. Right. But in response to that, there there is a you know the European Union model is is much more based on a precautionary model, and it's 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 basically a, based on. Um, protecting the health of, of both people and, and, and the natural world. Um, and it doesn't give a green light to, um, uh, to, to, to the new chemicals and to the new advancements. It says, you stay here, you wait, and we decide if, if there's any risk to health. And if there's a risk to health um, or oh, until we learn more, whereas the, the risk model in the United States has always been um, it's it's a green light until we have absolute positive evidence that it's causing harm, and so that's why lead was in gasoline and paint for something like eighty three years. People <laughs> knew there were problems. So, yeah, I mean, one of the issues is this um, uh, this I guess this hubris that you were taught. Uh, one of the essays um, in the book was talking about how there were 2000 different chemicals that they're trying to uh you know keep track of but their their limited uh their limited worldview doesn't really they don't know how yeah. the different chemicals interact they don't know well, what it's like you know they really yeah. have no idea what they're doing they're just pretending like they do well yeah there's actually about 100 110,000 chemicals yeah. out there and they've they've tested about 2000 of them uh, scientifically and carefully but what they haven't tested them is the interactions between them and so you get to see how complex that would be, right? If you tried to say, well, what does chemical 52,007, how does that interact with chemical whatever? Right. And we don't have those kinds of studies. Um, so I, I would encourage the, your caller to, yeah, to, to get more information, precautionary folks, uh, on the critique of, of risk-based systems. And then with, with um, the folks... Uh, not only in Europe but around this country too, really pushing for a more a more health based system and and saying you know we we're going to hold these things back until they can be shown uh, that they're n- they're not dangerous as opposed to letting them go through until they the people who are being harmed can somehow prove that they are so it's a um, yeah, it's a big problem, and and this is what I mean. This the people aren't going to let this go. I mean, there are people are not. Right. The, the old system is going to be hard, hard to, um, uh, to 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 do away with. And uh, you know, one uh, of the things that I, I was just thinking about is that it is it's like a value judgment that everybody holds, even that this technological society that we have is better. Uh, you know, this must be oh, yeah. better because we're using these chemicals and stuff. And then the idea to change, oh, my God, to live without them, that would just be, you know, that would destroy our life. Right. And it wouldn't be, you know, as good as it is now. And it's like, well, it would be different. But, right. you know, why do we make that value judgment? And, and everybody really does it. Like, this is the most advanced society ever, and we're better off than anybody ever has been. And right. it's because of our technology. Right. And it's, it's based on this you know that we've basically gone into the world and made it our own right and and right. and we've used the tools of 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 uh, at least in the last 350 years modern science and technology to to make these these great changes and uh um but as we make these advances we are also putting things in water that you know it's you know back when we were cleaning water it was to get um fecal matter and other kinds of uh, biologics out of it but now there's so many chemicals mm-hmm. and 
and uh, a host of other kinds of things in, in water that uh, no water system in this country tests for, as far as I know, uh, and we wouldn't know what to do with them anyway. Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, anyway. All right, well, we've got calls rolling in, so let's, let's take Great, a let's go. Here. Yeah. Uh, good morning. You're on KZYX. Good morning. Hi. Great show. Thanks. Well, uh, we live with a conditioned mind. Our minds are so conditioned that it's really difficult to move beyond that. And one way to do that is in Buddhism, they talk about a beginner's mind, that it's important to have a beginner's mind in order to lessen the conditioning that we, we've all been subject to, moving from a, an ignorant based mind to a to a more of a beginner's mind but i also have a question uh for uh, our guest which is uh the rate of autism and alzheimer's that we are dealing with now and that we are going to be dealing with more in the future having to do with the non-linear you know we're going to be forced to to inhabit a more nonlinear world because of these special beings, the autistic and mm. more so the autistic children yeah. than, well, and Alzheimer's, I want to put that in there too. Thank you. All right, you got it. Thanks for the call. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, the beginner's mind, I, um, uh, the, the Buddha, uh, and this quote is attributed to, to Buddha, um, it says, uh, by what is the world led around, and his answer is, the world is led around by the mind, and uh, that strikes me as exactly what, right, you know, that, that um, uh, of course, the world has bigger forces, we get hit by a meteor, that, that's not our mind doing that, <laughs> but, but, but so much of what we see in the world, and what we say the world is, and then what we try to make the world do is, 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 are all conditioned by what we think the world is, and, and so, changing our minds, and that's what I, when I go give public talks, I talk about, you know, we need to change our collective minds. And it's happened before. I mean, it has happened before. So it's not like it's impossible to do. Um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the, the rise in, in, in autism uh, uh, around the country, around the world, uh, we don't know what's going on. It's a complex uh, uh, disease. Uh, with, um, and, and you're right. We're, um, uh, we need to learn how to... to 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 live. I mean, the old model was it took people who weren't um, standard healthy people. We we hid them, put right. them someplace else, and <laughs> we thankfully rejected that way of going about about it. But yeah, well, um, the autistic mind is a special mind. It's 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 uh, has its own power and beauty. Um, um, and yeah, uh, as that population grows and grows older, um, it will. Force us, uh, and I hope positive and, and like the caller said, nonlinear ways to, to think about the mind and think about uh, uh, how to live. So I think I think that was a great great call. All right, very good. Um, I have another one coming in. Why don't we just go ahead and take this one right now? Good morning. You're on the Thursday morning report. Do you have a question for our guest? Well, perhaps an observation. Mm -hmm. I recently read uh, Louis Manon's book called. Uh, <clears throat> the metaphysical club, which mm. describes the shift in philosophy as a result of the Civil War in the United States. And somehow I think that uh, your guest's uh, discretion is, is almost somewhat 
somewhat carrying that on a little bit further. And it might be interesting for him to compare what kind, how his, how he feels the current shift is compared to the shift that occurred <clears throat> in the late uh, 19th century following the the um, <clears throat> Civil War as as <clears throat> described under terms of Holmes and Dewey and Pierce and 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 uh, uh, Williams, no James. I'm yeah, guessing. William James. William, yeah, James. William James, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, I'd I'd like to hear him uh, comment a bit on that. All right. Well. Yeah. There you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I. Uh, uh, I'm familiar with that history. I'm familiar with that book. Um, uh, uh, certainly, uh, the pragmatists um, uh, were were addressing um, a kind of fundamental um, weakness in in, the, in uh, the philosophy that came before, um, and sort of in a in a sort of good american sort of can do spirit says well, what what can we do and what should we focus on and 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 um uh their work work had a much more practical uh sense it also uh focused on on a set of limits about what we could know and what we could know um but also to sort of say uh let's not worry about getting it exactly right let's worry worry about solving some problems and Chris Dewey's work cut across uh, many education, and uh, William James's work um, was was um, really explosive in terms of of, of how he went at uh, analyzing uh, the world and the world of religious belief, and 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 it it, it I think it it brought um, it it tied into some new advances in in the study of the brain. Uh, at least James's work, I think, did that. So, um, and you know, I mean, it's so your, your caller makes a good point. I think where these historical um, shifts are happening all the time, and I think we're seeing it seeing it again. I think we're seeing it primarily on the on the ecological side. That is, the, many of the. Many of the criticisms of of modern uh, epistemology and and uh, conceptions of nature have come from the environmental movement of the last one hundred years of people saying um, that this is view of nature uh, that is wrong and 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 dangerously wrong and and uh, needs to be somehow rethought so whether it's uh, 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 Emerson early on but uh, John Muir Aldo Leopold. Um, and now I think Wes Jackson, Henry Thoreau, Henry Thoreau, Thoreau. right, right, right. So, so, uh, but the tradition here is is uh, coming out of the uh, ecological tradition, mm-hmm. and um, uh, and it, to your to your caller's point, Wes Jackson's work, and I think others too. It's like, well, how can we use this new approach to actually get results? Right? How how can how can we use the the wisdom of nature to to grow? Uh, perennial crops, right? What would it mean if we didn't have to plant corn every year and it came up like like the grass it is uh, every year, <laughs> over and over and over? Well, it, it's um, Wes thinks that's another probably forty years out, but he's hoping that he's hoping his work and work of others will will perennialize the major crops, and so um, um, and it will take us a long way toward um, solving some of our 
uh, most serious ecological problems. So I thank the, re- uh, the caller for, for giving it a historical perspective. All right. Well, let me just uh, let me just uh, do a station break here. It's nine fifty-one, so we've only got nine minutes left in the program. You're listening to the Thursday Morning Report here on KZYX in Mendocino County. Uh, I'm speaking this morning with Bill Vitek, one of the uh, excuse me, v- Bill Vitek, one of the uh, editors of a new book, a book out in paperback, "The Virtues of Ignorance, Complexity, Sustainability, and the Limits of Knowledge." If you uh, have a question, we've got a few minutes left, so you can call up eight nine five two four four eight. We'll get you in the studio. And uh, so, Bill, we've just got a few minutes left. Do you, yeah. uh, you have any, uh, anything that you really want to get across? Well, I, I guess uh, I'll pitch the book. It's, uh, it's a, a, a book with uh, a large number of authors. It's a pretty readable book. Um, um, that was one of the conditions, we, you know. And so um, and it, it ranges across... Uh, uh, all kinds of fields, from from rhetoric to to agriculture, to economics. Uh, one a piece on climate change. Uh, one from um, a couple of, of of essays uh, on a curriculum in medical school, uh, which is an, an ignorance based uh, curriculum. And uh, think about that. Think about you know the way in which we how we train. Uh, physicians in this country, and and um, and is there a better way to do that? And so, so it's a, it's you know I, I hope readers, uh, uh, your listeners, you know get it out of the light and consider it themselves. Because as to go back to what one of your callers said, that we're we're really talking about changing people's minds, and and those minds uh, once changed or as they start to change, that need to be active in. You know, in the local in local politics and local school boards, and 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 in trying to reshape um, these systems that that right across the board are are knowledge based, linear based systems, and so we need to be operating at at sort of every level here. Um, uh, so so get involved and 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 bring these these ideas. And again, not pessimistic, not uh, anarchistic. Uh, right? These are, this is a just a way of thinking that um, provides a fresh perspective, uh, invites collaboration both across disciplines, across divide. Uh, so um, it's exciting. It's a, it's a, I think it's an exciting time. So. Yeah, it seemed like, I guess if I got one message out of it, it you're really talking about uh, creating a, a, as diverse of a system as you can. It's like a kind of a, an acceptance that diversity is better than uh, you know, having having just the one the one point of view that yeah. overshadows everything, and that way, I, you know, in order to do that, I think you have to be able to have a a mind that accepts that uh, other ideas are out there that maybe disagree with you, and that's okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that you know, we should again welcome um, uh, local knowledge, right? The the, mm-hmm. the knowledge of the, the ninety year old farmer. Um, Cultural knowledge, um, religious knowledge. I mean, these these are these are. I think the the scientific worldview uh, too often excludes these ways of of knowing. And and so what I guess we're saying is that uh, these other systems uh, should at least have uh, some voice at at the table. And and we ought not to be too quick um, to reject them because they are unscientific. I mean, that sounds like we 
you know, the the church in fourteen whatever rejecting a belief because it was unChristian or un mm-hmm. you know, right? Un, uh, not 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 in keeping with the dogmas of the church. Um, so. Um, so when you know when parents were talking about autism and the and the explosive number of, of, of children being diagnosed with autism faster, um, but you know people want to say, well, we don't know if we're just diagnosing it faster, and you know these sorts of things. So anyway, we we I think we need to um, yeah be more open into these things, um, but we also have to make decisions and policy decisions and. We're, we're, we're going to have to get down and dirty and and and, uh, and and fight with people who have a lot to lose because they have the control and the power. So um, whether it's re, you know I, I'm an educator, uh, you know it, I know how hard it is to change even a college, not, let alone a whole you know university system curriculum uh, in terms of what's taught. You know. Um, or, or the whole government bureaucracy on top of that, for sure. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's it. To my to my knowledge, there are uh, maybe a handful of engineering uh, curricula in the United States in which students are required to take courses in biology and ecology. Uh, for the most uh, a well-educated engineer in this country never takes a course in biology, never takes a course in ecology. It's not required to. Um, so. You know, not surprisingly, so that sometimes our engineers design systems that are bad right, <laughs> for the, living systems because yeah. <laughs> they haven't been asked to think about living systems as living systems. So right. now, anyway, so it's it's hard work, but um, uh, it's exciting work too. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I think we've mentioned that that idea of the conditioning that people have. And uh, and going in and being able to break that conditioning and allow for for this different worldview, uh, it can't be easy. <laughs> no, no, and um, you know, just imagine, you know, when when well, uh, you know, imagine uh, being told uh, after having believed it and uh, that you know the Earth is not the center of the solar system. You know, it's just right. It's the Earth that moves, and and I like to tell my students that we still use language that falsely describes what happens. We say the sun rises and sets and does no such thing. Um, we move, right? But right. We, it's still in our language for 400 and some odd years later. So it's hard to change those kinds of, of, of conceptual schemes. And, you know, I, and I don't think an individual change. Um, basically, I'm, I think the book is we're trying to seed a conceptual revolution, right? We're really trying to get enough people moving in a certain way uh, to bring to bring this change. And um, uh, so we're hopeful. Well, we've only got about 30 seconds left. So do you want to uh, tell people maybe uh, where they can get uh, a copy of the book or how, maybe how they can get in touch with, uh, if they're interested in learning more, if there's a website or... or uh... Well, um, there's not a website uh, for, uh, for the book. I could certainly. Um, uh, I'm at Clarkson University, C L A R K S O N University. I could send me an email. I'd be happy to talk to them. The book is available at Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, and the University of Kentucky. So, um, uh, uh, you know, so it's it's readily available. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. That was a great interview. I hope uh, everybody got as much out of it as I did. Well, Doug, thanks. Uh, you have great uh, listeners, uh, uh, the ones that called in. Uh, enjoyed their, their comments, and uh, it was a great show. I was happy to do it. Thanks. All right. Take care. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Professor Bill Vitek of uh, the uh, philosophy professor um, who is the editor of The Virtues of Ignorance, Complexity, Sustainability, and the Limits of Knowledge. Great uh, conversation. I hope uh, that it all chipped a little bit away uh, from all of our own conditioning. Uh, but anyway, the time is now 10 o'clock, so time to hand it over to the next guy. I uh, just want to let you all know you've been listening to the Thursday Morning Report right here on KZYX, 90.7 FM Philo, KZYZ, 91.5 FM Willits and Ukiah, K201HR, 88.1 FM Fort Bragg. This is Mendocino County Public Broadcasting listener-supported community radio streaming on the web at kzyx.org.